This is the Citizen of Heaven podcast number 131, Sex Part 2. I am Hal Hammonds, and I am a Citizen of Heaven, and your embedded correspondent in Satan's world. Thanks for coming back. This is the second part of my conversation with Matt and Jen Schmidt, the co-hosts of the Intimate Covenant podcast. Find out more about their work at IntimateCovenant.com. Check out the first segment if you have not done so already. Here we will discuss lessons in marriage preparation from the Shulamite in the Song of Songs and what might be gained from teaching some new tricks to old dogs like me. Let's start with what I've been reading. The Song of Songs, which is Solomon's, has been interpreted any number of ways, but one thing is certain. The Shulamite opens herself to her beloved in a way reserved only for him. As chapter 8 and verses 8 through 10 illustrate, she made herself to be a wall. Then when the time and place were right, she became a door. How can we do the one? And then how can we do the other? Yeah. Great question. This is a good question. I like that you pulled this first out. Yeah. uh, I think, especially if we're referring to sexuality, and I assume that that's how we're taking this metaphor as a wall and a door. This is something that is so difficult for Christians, I think, especially those of us that were raised in the church, as it were, and maybe something that's perhaps even more difficult for women to flip that switch of protecting their sexuality and then transitioning in marriage to being more open with their sexuality. Right. I think all too often we inadvertently or even outright are taught that sex is dirty and shameful and scary and dangerous. And you should save that for the one you love. (laughs) So we get all these negative, you know, and I understand we're, we're trying to protect our young people and we we're coming maybe from a place of understanding the right place for sex, but all too often it's presented in a very negative way. And then the minute that we say, I do, you're supposed to switch and all that negativity should just, poof, be gone away with. And now it's right. And it's beautiful, but our brains don't work that way. And when we have spent our entire early years of forming our sexuality in this negative, silent, shame-filled environment, you can't just on the day you say, I do switch to now this is wonderful and beautiful. And I can't wait to share all of me with you. Right. A holy view of sexuality is something that has to begin even before you get married. And I think in this case, we're we're calling out parents a little bit here. Parents play a big part, maybe the most important part in shaping uh, a young person's view of sexuality. And this goes back even to the discussion we already had about the difference between motivating by shame versus motivating by glory. If we spend all of our time teaching our children that sex is bad and dirty and dangerous, that's not how the Bible paints the picture of sexuality, at least not in its fullness. Yes, sex is can be dangerous and it can be shameful when it's used the wrong way. And, and sex is dirty when it's used inappropriately, but sex in and of itself is not something that's dirty and, and dirtiness is not inherent to sexuality. We have to do a better job of teaching our young people the message that sex is beautiful and holy, and that's why it should be protected and preserved because it is so special that it needs to be preserved and used in the right way. Right. I mean, we need to be teaching our kids that God 
created sex and he is the author of sexual desire. And those are beautiful and right and holy things. It is our job as parents to help build that wall around our children, helping to protect their sexualities. But that comes from a place of understanding the beauty of what God intended and the holiness and the wonderfulness of sexual relationships shared within yes. marriage. Satan did not invent sex and he did not put sexual desire within me. That is something that was created when God made us male and female. God created sex for the purpose of drawing us toward one another and teaching us something about the kind of passion that he seeks us with and that we ought to be seeking him with. The silence that we as parents and as a religious culture have towards the topic of sexuality piles more shame on the entire topic. And therefore, then our young people are left with learning about sex from their school system or the internet or their friends in the locker rooms and sleepovers. I mean, what a horrific place to learn about what the true beauty of sex is intended to be. I'm old enough. You may not be old enough. I'm old enough to remember a time when our culture helped us build those walls. Mm -hmm. Uh, There was a significant amount of cultural shame uh, attached to unwed pregnancy, right? even to a certain degree, premarital sex, certainly sex Mm -hmm. as, as teenagers. Obviously, people did it. People did it and got away with it sometimes. But there was a significant social stigma that was attached to that kind of thing. You didn't want to do it because you didn't want to get caught. You didn't want right. to suffer the consequences. And the pill came along that put a crack in the wall before too long. There's you know rampant divorce rates and all kinds of cultural changes that have whittled away at the idea of one man, one woman, one lifetime. We've lived to see the day where it's just not that big of a deal. It was socially unacceptable because you didn't want to get caught, as you said, or you didn't want someone else to look down upon you rather than from the standpoint that it's wrong or it it should be looked down upon because it's not holy Mm -hmm. and because sex should be held in a place of honor. And that's why it's not appropriate to do it outside of the marriage bed. And I think society now has reacted against that shameful motivation and now is just freely permissive. That's why we've gotten this pendulum swing in the the entirely opposite direction. There's not a lot of cultural problems that I'm not prepared to lay at the feet of lazy parenting. That that covers (laughs) most of it. And, And this is a great example of that. You know, it's not that I am using my relationship with God and my participation in spiritual things and my personal Bible study with my children to teach them what sexuality is, what marriage is and such. I'm essentially letting my culture do it for me. It's, yeah. I don't want to get involved in this. It's uncomfortable. It's it's tiresome. It's embarrassing, quite frankly. There's no telling what these 14-year-olds are going to ask. They don't want to get pregnant. I know they don't want to get pregnant. So we'll just kind of let that go and it'll take care of itself. And by and large, it does in the 50s, 60s, maybe the 70s. And then we get into a situation where those kids are having kids and they're rearing their children the same way that their parents reared them. And culture is still driving the bus, but the bus is not pointing in the same direction that it was before. Right. And now all of a sudden they're learning all these incorrect notions about what proper behavior is. And society is taking them in a very carnal direction. 
the consequences are worse, obviously, for the one. But it's really the same problem, isn't it? That we're not we're not taking our responsibility to rear our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord as we should. We're not teaching about sexuality. I mean, the reason we see the culture around us that we do, those are all sexual problems, right? Because that is who we are. And Satan understands the power of that. And so we can look at our culture and see how he is just chipping away at everything that is supposed to be holy and right. We want to divorce sexuality and spirituality, and we can't do that. And that all starts within our homes. And quite frankly, I think it also starts not just with us doing a better job of understanding it ourselves, but then doing a better job of communicating that with one another. I mean, it's way easier to share our naked bodies than it is to share a conversation about sexuality with one another. So many married couples cannot even talk about sex. They'll do it with the lights off, but they can't even talk about it because they have cloaked sex with this sense of shame and silence. You got to be having the conversation with each other. And then that conversation needs to travel out into the whole rest of your home. Your kids need to know you have a great sex life. And I understand there's a shock value to that. I'm not saying your kids need to know when and where and how, but your kids better know that married sex is great because that's what God intended. Your children, if you're not talking actively to your children about the beauty of married sex, Satan is telling them that sex is great outside of covenant, that sex is what young, hot, 20-something-year-old bodies do in this hookup culture, and that's where the greatness is. That's where the fun is. Married sex is boring and, in fact, gross and awful. That's what your children are hearing. Your voice better be louder than that. Would you say then, talking about walls and doors here, would you say that if we build the walls up properly, we help them appreciate what sexuality is, Mm -hmm. uh, its proper role, why Mm -hmm. it does not belong in your life right now, at least as as we generally define it, Mm -hmm. that when the time comes for them to become a door, when the time comes for them to open themselves up to somebody, that it, it would be a considerably more natural response at that point, and to a certain degree, even a welcome response. This is this is what I've been waiting for, not in the conventional, you know, guy drooling on his wedding night kind of way, but in a <laughs> in a more wholesome and holistic kind of way. This is what I was meant to do. This is right. my role in this new family of mine. Noticed, I mean, even in in the passage you you read in Song of Songs, or you quoted in Song of Songs that. In that chapter eight and in verse eight and nine is this bride's brothers talking about the fact that they want to protect her sexuality. They want to help build it. And she confidently then states in chapter 10 that I am a wall. I have built myself into a wall, but I am going to open myself as a door to my beloved. Mm-hmm. She had a role in building herself up as a wall. Her family had a role in building herself up as a wall, protecting her, but also informing her. A tower or a wall, whatever it is, has to be built brick by brick. Some sex educators talk about having a hundred one-minute conversations with your children about sex over their lifetime, a as a, or, or a thousand yeah. conversations, rather than the one 
so-called the talk. The talk. <laughs> if that, you just, it's terrifying to you and terrifying to them. And awkward for everybody. We, everybody holds their breath and we just get through it and we think that's sex education. Well, yeah. That's not how you teach your kids about salvation. You don't teach your kids about salvation in one talk. You teach them about salvation and all these beautiful conversations throughout your children's lifetime. Mm-hmm. Why wouldn't you be talking about their whole selves in the same way? Because their view of sexuality and, and what they need to know and are prepared to know has to change over the course of their maturity. The most repeated refrain in the Song of Songs is do not awaken love until it pleases or until it's proper time. That means, number one, that we have to be diligent about keeping sex in the right perspective and in the right place. But it also means that there is a time where it should be awakened. We're not being diligent about keeping sex in the right place and making sure that we're not stirring up those emotions. uh, Then we're not doing our job. We as Christians have put very little thought into how we are preparing our children for relationships. From the time sometimes that they're in kindergarten or even younger, we are encouraging them to pair up with somebody else. When they're not emotionally or spiritually prepared to be able to handle that kind of intense relationship. So then they are also then required then to suffer these intense, unnecessary emotional breakups. They're not prepared for the intense and unnecessary sexual temptations. We've bought into how the world right. goes about. Because we're this. doing this the way the world is doing it. Right. The, mm-hmm. the relationships are what you should be doing at this age. And you should be getting involved in. At age 12, 13, <sighs> even 16. When they're nowhere near ready for what is actually required for these relationships. They're not ready to fight those battles yet. As the father of daughters, you know, I look at this passage in Song of Songs and how she says, I was a wall and my breasts were like towers, a defense mechanism, basically. I don't know exactly how literal I'm supposed to take that, but there is a physical presence that naturally separates boys and girls, keeping two people apart. And I think that's that's a big part of this bit about being a wall, not just a physical proximity, but but an emotional proximity. I will not let you into my life. I will not let you into my mind until we get to a certain point in our relationship. There is a, a necessary barrier there. And our society, of course, has flipped this on its head where the sexuality of a person is a door. We're, we're encouraging access. We're encouraging coming and going through this sexual imagery, through body parts. And God is trying to tell us, I think, like you've been saying from the beginning, this has a place, but it's not every place. And you need to set up walls so you'll know when to open your doors. And when we properly understand sexuality, use that sexuality to keep people at bay, just from a practical standpoint. Obviously, there are some cretins out there. There are some men who will do what they will do, and they're bigger and stronger, all things being equal than the women. We're not talking about that. Generally speaking, boys need permission to get to first base or to second base or whatever. And if the girl doesn't provide that permission, if she holds back, that's an incentive. Well, why don't you behave more like a man? Why don't you get a good job? Why don't you learn how to serve the Lord better, whatever, show yourself that you're worthy of getting to first base. If we take that away, if we strip ourselves of the natural defenses that we have there, nobody's improving, nobody's growing, 
relationships aren't forming. We're trying to avoid relationships, quite frankly. And that's not what God's plan is. Totally agree. You hit on some important points there. The sexual desire that a man has is, I think, in part given to him to motivate him towards those other realms of connection. Uh, Without that sexual desire, most men would have very little interest in hanging out with girls. There's just not a whole lot interesting about girls except for their sexuality. And so that should be a motivation. I will give you a chance to take that comment back, man. I know what he means by that. I'm just telling you that 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 is a primary motivator, at least as what introduces that relationship. Mm -hmm. Boys and girls, before they have the hormones of puberty, don't do much together. And they're awkward together. They don't play the same way. They don't interact the same way. They're viewing life and thinking about life in a very different way. But when that sexual desire starts kicking in, then they all of a sudden now are drawn towards one another. And there's a right place for that. You talk about the tower and the breast being a tower does create some physical separation. I guess I would look at that even maybe in a slightly different way that a tower is something that is prominent and proud. She's built this wall and on that wall, she has towers because she's not afraid of who she is in a sexual way, but it's also those towers are on top of or behind a wall. Mm -hmm. So they're not accessible to everyone. There's a glimpse of that to everyone, but not everyone's allowed inside the wall. If you build the right kind of wall, then you can bring your beloved inside that wall. And that wall can still be a place of protection and security but also a place that you share openly once you're behind the wall, then there's nothing, there's nothing held back. There's nothing secret or or hidden there. This is what I've been playing. Fog of Love is a relationship simulator. You and your playing partner assume roles that come with characteristics, talents, preferences, and personalities. Life throws a few curveballs at you. You weather the hardships, enjoy the blessings, and eventually you either fulfill your destiny together or you don't. I would call Fog of Love weird, but interesting. Tracy, my (laughs) wife, would call it just weird. (laughs) Though we're probably done with it. Pushing boundaries is fine in concept, but we have more or less found our lane and we'll stay in it. Thank you very much. I feel safe in saying that most married people my age have settled into a sexual routine. Is that a good thing? Is that a bad thing or is it some of both? I hesitate to try to stir things up in situations where folks are happy with their sexual relationship. If everybody's happy, then maybe there's not really a problem there. I guess I would maybe flip that question from the standpoint of looking at our relationship with God. Is is he satisfied with us staying in our lane and settling into routine? We don't have to come to God and worship and do something new and great every single Sunday that we assemble. But if we get into such a routine that it's just rote and there's no real connection happening, then maybe we should reevaluate our worship. Right. I mean, if we think that we can just coast, we're likely to find that we're coasted to a stop. And that is the nature of relationships. You're either growing together or you're pulling farther apart. Kind of going back to what we talked about earlier, all too often we all of a sudden wake up one day and realize, we are very far apart from one another. How did that happen? We didn't set out to be at this place in our relationship, but I think we end up coasting to this place. 
Yeah. I mean, every aspect of a relationship requires intentional effort Mm -hmm. to continue that connection. Whether you're talking about our spiritual connection, our emotional connection, or sexual connection, every aspect of that relationship requires intentional effort. So, I mean, if staying in your lane or settling into routine means that we have ways that work for us to continue connecting, then I'm all for that. Great. Keep doing it. You don't have to do something that you're not comfortable with. And I would say the only way you know if what you're doing is promoting connection with one another is if you're talking about it. Right. Um, and, and that, I think, is a fundamental place that most marriages could do a much better job of, is talking about our sexual relationship with one another and what is or isn't working, where are places for growth. And also recognizing that assuming you've been married for a while, you're not the same person you were when you got married. He's not the 21-year-old guy that I married. I'm not that young girl that he married. There always needs to be this, yes, I know you, but where can I know you more? And yes, I know what you like, but where might that have changed? And where can we grow and discovering more about one another? There should always be an aspect of discovery and mystery within Mm -hmm. our relationship with one another, especially in our sexuality and shared sexuality. One of the great benefits of marriage is that it's lifelong. We have this lifetime to continue to get to know each other, to continue to grow and to continue to experience one another. Home base, what we settle into, as it were, is great because it's familiar. And if you've been married for longer than a week, you have a sexual routine. But it's so easy for familiarity to breed complacency or contempt Mm -hmm. even. When you settle into something and you take it for granted, that becomes a problem. And again, this is true sexually or emotionally. You know, when we're dating and when we're getting to know each other, we spend a whole lot of emotional energy trying to impress the other person. But it doesn't take long into marriage that the flowers disappear. The love notes don't show up. We get into our routine. So is routine good or bad? I mean, I guess it depends on what that routine means. If we settle into a routine that might be vanilla or boring, but we're still seeking one another, I'm certainly all for that. You each get to define vanilla and boring, right? <laughs> well, a, lot of, a lot of vanilla fans out there. But yeah, there's a difference between being routine and being thoughtless, okay. mindless. Yeah. You know, you can, and that's not just true in a sexual relationship, but just in your relationship in general. For sure. Uh, I don't know how long we've been married, uh, 10, 12 years, something like that. And Tracy got it in her head that we needed to be spending more time together. We need to be doing more things together. And and I'm like most men, probably after 10 years of marriage, what are you talking about? You know, we do things together. You know, we, <laughs> we live together. For we live together. <laughs> we, we watch TV together. And that's one of the reasons why we got into board gaming, actually, just to connect with one another and to connect with our, our children as well. The idea of deliberately focusing yes. our efforts on something communal, something yeah. larger or outside of ourselves, deliberately choosing to find something different and respond to that. That is thoughtful. And if the same thing works for you every time, then do the same thing every time. I suspect that that probably would naturally change from your 40s into your 50s into your 60s. 20 years ago, if I wanted to act like a hero, I'd bring home a bunch of flowers from the grocery store. Now, if I want to be a hero, I bring home peanut butter M&Ms. 
and yeah. I get the same reaction <laughs> for less exactly. money. It's it's all good. You know what the other one needs. If I ever get to a point where I think I automatically know everything about my spouse and there's no need for me to change up anything, then then I've become like the world who fails to recognize the beauty of God in every daily moment. I'm like the person who walks outside and sees the sunset and just walks away without even acknowledging the beauty there. Every sunset is different, just like every day with my spouse is different. And as we grow together, I mean, yes, her needs and her desires have changed over the last 25 years. And so have mine. And we've learned to desire to try to meet those needs and desires to to whatever extent that I can in every realm of our relationship. I mean, sex is supposed to look different when we're older than when we're younger. Mm-hmm. It has to, but if we settle into a routine, like, well, this is just what we've always done, then I'm not going to be able to meet the new demands that come about, even just with the changes that occur with aging. When your goal within your marriage is not just the fleeting pleasure of two bodies, but your goal within your marriage and your goal within your sexual relationship is connection, deep connection with one another then what you do may change, but yet you can still have that place of pleasure that comes from connection. So yeah, you know, your sexual relationship should look different as you age because there are deeper places to connect with one another as you change. And so again, you can have a, you can have home base, you can have familiarity, but always be seeking for further discovery of who your spouse is. Don't ever just assume that you know. I should treat this with a sense of awe, a sense of excitement. Our relationship with God should always come from a place of, I want to know you better. Your will is becoming my will. That same kind of sense of exploration should be in our marriages as well. Mm -hmm. One of the concepts that we tried to talk about even at our most recent marriage retreat uh, is the idea of trying to sanctify the ordinary moments. Try to see those daily things that we do every day in a more eternal perspective. Some of the ways that we do that is through establishing ritual. What are the things that I can do on a regular basis, on a daily basis that promote connection? Yeah. My job, I'm not sure how it ever came to be my job, is to set the coffee pot up at night so that it is ready when Jen wakes up at the crack of dawn or before mm-hmm. her coffee is ready and it's hot and it's right. Because I need her. like coffee five steps from my bed just yes. about. I mean, I, I want my coffee immediately. So somehow that be, that became my job. Not sure. And I started to resent that a little bit, that why is this my job? She's the one that's drinking the coffee first in the morning. She should set it up. But when I'm cleaning out the coffee filter and going through all those steps, that's my opportunity to focus on her and to pray for her and pray for what she might need in that moment. And so I've tried to take something that is ordinary and mundane and sometimes even distasteful and try to turn it into a place where I can connect. Yeah. And there's so many other places that we have opportunity to do that, but we just let the moments go by without seeing them in a more important light. Right. This is the time of year when the leaves start falling and the temperature starts dropping and college football fans get all antsy and, <laughs> and everybody says, this is my favorite time of year. And, and I like autumn. I, I like it a lot, but I it seems like every time 
one season yields to another, I go through the same kind of thing. You know, I really love spring. I really love summer. I really, it's, it's not that one's better than the other, but when you are introduced to it after waiting for nine months, you find joy there. You find peace there. You find a blessing there that you may have forgotten about a little bit. And when we're progressing through life like this, it's not about, I wish we were back in our twenties or I can't wait till we're in our sixties or whatever. It's about finding purpose and joy where you are and finding God's blessing where you are. And maybe my approach to my spouse is going to be different now than it was a few years ago, a few decades ago. That's not good or bad. That's just the way it is. And it's a new opportunity to learn. It's a new opportunity to grow. It's not about finding the best place in life and staying there as long as you possibly can. Right. Because you don't really have that option. You know, that, that doesn't no, happen. That's not life. It's not the way it works. <laughs> yeah, uh, it's yeah. about finding joy and purpose where you are. And that's whether you're on your first week of marriage or your 50th year, whatever it happens to be. And I believe sex is a big part of that. There is a, a way to find that satisfaction, that connection in that place where you are. And why wouldn't you want to take that? Right, right. I think that's beautifully said. I mean, it is always about growth. I mean, that is the essence of our relationship is we have this beautiful opportunity on this side of heaven to have this incredibly close relationship. There is no relationship this side of heaven that is as close as a marriage can be. That is why God uses this relationship as a metaphor for what he longs to have with us. And we're meant to see within our marriages that this should be and can be a place for incredible joy and rest and healing and all of these wonderful, deep, deep emotions that we can have together. But those only come when you're willing to keep growing together. On top of ritual, the other idea that we introduced was introducing this idea of play. I love how with your podcast, you introduce this and bring this up with all of your episodes. Is- well, and I like how you said playing together was an intentional thing to bring that deeper connection into your marriage and even into your family. Sure. Um, because play has an important part in our lives. Oh, I, and, I think and it's, in an, it's such an important part of all relationships. The, the relationships where you play are your closest relationships because you have trust play. You have to trust someone to laugh with them. You have to trust someone in order to put down your guard and let them be a part of you in that vulnerable way. It's how you introduce laughter. I mean, we're not board game people necessarily, but we do other things that are still playful. We love to eat fancy food together. We love to hike together and camp together. We love to visit national parks together So there are plenty of things that we do that just invite that sense of adventure, that sense of joy, that sense of accomplishment. Doing that together with your spouse unifies you. There's a sense of unity in ritual. There's a sense of unity in playing together. It's how we sanctify the ordinary moments. Absolutely. Well, what has gone unsaid that you need to say? Wow, that's a big question. (laughs) (laughs) You know, Matt always ends every one of our podcasts with the phrase, keep striving, don't settle. And we were just recently talking about where did that phrase come from? When was the first time that he said that? And we don't actually really remember exactly (laughs) 
what prompted him to say that. But those two simple little phrases capture so much for us because your marriage should be about the constant seeking of one another, the desire to be known and to know one another. Keep striving is a call to keep connecting, keep thinking that there is more to share with one another. Keep that sense of curiosity and mystery with one another, because then that just becomes deeper and deeper, which is exactly what the metaphor of marriage is meant to be all about. And then from that, don't settle. Don't settle in a place of good enough. You know, all too often we compare our marriages to somebody else and we say, eh, I'm better. Better, I'm better. better than those guys. Yeah. Better than those guys. <laughs> and so therefore we're good enough. But when you settle in a good enough marriage, you have missed what God has in mind for marriage. So be willing to dig in deeper. Where do I not know my spouse? What are the places that I could do a better job of knowing them? What are the conversations we don't have that we should be having? Are we really sharing ourselves, our whole selves with one another? Are we just occasionally sharing our bodies? Because God had so much more in mind for sex than just two bodies. The risk of sounding like I'm preaching a sermon here, I, you made me think of the, the Jacob story. Jacob's one of my favorite characters in the Bible. And the night that he spends wrestling with the angel, when he feels like his whole life is falling apart, and God commends him for this. His hip is dislocated and he won't quit yet. I will not let you go until you bless me. And that's right. when he becomes the wrestler, Israel, the yep. one who wrestles with God. There is a blessing here and it does not automatically present itself, but it's there. I know it's there and I'm going to fight until I can find it. And that would apply to marriage too. And I'm not trying Agreed. to get overly graphic about the, the wrestling imagery with regard to men and women, but, <laughs> but there is you know, a, and I will go there on our podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but but there's a fight there. And sometimes we're fighting against our spouse almost, it seems yeah. like. Yeah. But if we can determine to find that blessing, God's going to help us. And, and I suspect more often than not, our spouse is going to help us too. Absolutely. We, we need to wrestle with God. We need to wrestle with our marriage. We need to wrestle with our sexual relationship and really grapple with what that means to us. And what does that mean to our spouse? And what is the significance of this? What's the spiritual implications of our sexual relationship? Those are all things that we do need to wrestle with. And I think if we'll involve God in that wrestling with our marriage and with our sexual relationship, like you said, that is when he can bless us, is when we're willing to confront it, when we're willing to try to deal with it, rather than just trying to tuck it away, don't talk about it, don't think about it too much, try to push it to the side. We cannot be blessed um, in our sexual relationship and in our marriage if we just try to push it out of the way. You've been listening to the Citizen of Heaven podcast. Thank you for your support. If you like what you've heard, please subscribe through your favorite podcast platform and or on YouTube. Comments, corrections, and suggestions are always welcome. Please feel free to follow me through Facebook, MeWe, Parlor, or Instagram, or check out my webpage, www.halhammonds.com. Until next time, be strong and courageous. Fight the good fight of faith and do all things in the name of the Lord Jesus. This is Hal Hammonds, the Citizen of Heaven, signing off.